Okay, well, we'll probably have a few more people drifting in. I, I got a text that somebody was on the way. So when we put this together a year ago, I had at that point what I wanted to do for every single uh, month except this one. So this is, this is the, the hardest, if, if you're going to do a survey of the Bible, to me, uh, this is the hardest one to do once you get into the New Testament. And so I've, I've, I've put a lot of thought into how we can, so, you know, because there's a storyline to the Old Testament, and then there's the Gospels and Acts, which we'll talk about tonight. And then how do you teach the uh, New Testament epistles in a way that is, is linear, and I, I really don't know how to do that. So um, we will, we will kind of tackle this tonight, and we'll, we'll start with the book of Acts, and then uh, I have um, a couple of different directions I can take this at that point. So let me respond to my daughter real quick, and then I'll get started. I want to start, so this was a little bit uh, too much for this morning. I want to start by reading a quote that I got from the ever-quotable Corey Ten Boom. You guys know who Corey Ten Boom is? Corey Ten Boom wrote The Hiding Place. So she was a uh, Dutch uh, lady and her her father and her and her sister he was a watchmaker they lived in where did they live uh, yeah Am Amsterdam I don't know do you know Oliver do you know oh I thought you like put your hands up um, anyway they hid Jews hence the in the Holocaust hence the um, the name, the hiding place. Um, so she had uh, she had a lot of suffering in her life, and I'm going to read this. This is a quote from her. She says, "Often I have heard people say, how good God is. We prayed that it would not rain for our church picnic, and look what lovely weather. Yes, God is good when He sends good weather, but God was also good when He allowed my sister Betsy to starve to death." before my eyes in a German concentration camp. I remember one occasion when I was very discouraged there. Everything around us was dark and there was darkness in my heart. I remember telling Betsy that I thought God had forgotten us. No, Corey, said Betsy, he has not forgotten us. Remember his word, for as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. There is an ocean of God's love available. There is plenty for everyone. May God grant you never to doubt that victorious love, whatever the circumstances. And I was, I was telling the teenagers this morning in Sunday school, I, I think that we have lived in such a wonderful time of peace, and we really have. And I, I you know, in history speaks of the, the Pax Romana, you know, the time when Rome was, you know, so dominant in the world. It was, they, they, they had such an empire that um, they were, there was able to be, even though they were kind of a, you know, mafia, 
um, there, there was a time of, of great peace, right, in the, in the world. Well, I, I think that it's possible that in the days to come, uh, in the, if, if, if Jesus doesn't return, that, that the time we've been in could be called like the Pax Americana, right? Because America has been, you know, the, the policeman of the world, so to speak. Um, and if, if that is passing, you know, either because the United States is, is getting weaker or other powers are getting stronger or whatever the case may be, and we are entering into a time when there's more conflict, when there's more war, when there's more suffering in this United States, or in this world, I should say. I, I think that we need to be a people who have a robust understanding of the goodness of God. Um, so that I, I, I just, I, the way that, that Corey frames that, you know, yes, God is good when he answers our prayer for a nice day on a church picnic. Um, but God is also good uh, in the war in the cancer, in the hurricane. Um, he, he is still good, and his love endures forever. Um, interestingly, and we've, we've just, we're, we're in Sunday school, we're, we're walking through the prophets. Right now, we're in the major prophets, and we've done Isaiah, and we've done Jeremiah, and now we're in Ezekiel. Ezekiel. Um, but essentially, God is saying, I'm going to bring Babylon to Israel uh, to discipline them and to, to humble them and, and to, 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 to bring them back to myself, so to speak, you know? And, and the point being, God often uses wars and invaders to, to bring a people back to themselves, to bring, you know, he uses difficult circumstances in our lives, right, to to cause us to call out to him. So that's, you know, in, in, in that is the love of God to show us our need for him, whatever that, whatever that takes. So I want Hope Bible Church in the days that lay ahead. I want us to be able to embrace the goodness of God, um, whether he's doing nice things or whether he's doing things that are what do they call a frowning providence? I think was a, a way that it was spoken of in, in past days. So, um, so a little a little Corey Ten Boom. I tried to send that to the elders in a text, but Jay has that uh, despicable other type of cell phone, and I just could not get it to go. So I decided I'll just read it to everybody. All right, let me pray, and we'll we'll start. Father, we do want to, as your people acknowledge that you are truly good. You are faithful. Your mercies are new every morning. And so, Father, whether we are enjoying uh, your favor and your blessings and, and all of the good things of life, or whether we are suffering and struggling and even fearful and doubtful, as we saw the disciples this morning. We know that you are good, and we know that you have shown your goodness to us in the person of your son, Jesus Christ, who loved us enough that he died on the cross for our sins. We know that you can use the wickedness of man, even the most wicked act ever committed in the crucifying the, the Son of God, to bring about glorious purposes. And so you have used 
the crucifixion of Jesus to bring about our salvation, and so we know that whatever difficulties or hardships you bring into this world, we know that you will use those for our good as well. And so, Father, I pray tonight that you would help us to direct our hearts to this portion of Scripture, beginning in Acts and moving into the epistles. And I pray that you would help us to learn and grow from these things. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's open to the book of Acts. We will start here. Um, can we turn, can you turn the volume down just a little bit? Have you got it? I feel like it's, it's bouncing off this um, dry erase board. All right, so introduction to the books, book of Acts. Okay, so what I've given you tonight is I've given you uh, some, some information about the introduction to the book of Acts, and I've given you a timeline, and then maybe we can kind of just work our way through Acts and through that timeline a little bit. Um, I have a quote here for you. The Acts of the Apostles is unique among the books of the New Testament. The Gospels present four accounts of the story of Jesus but Acts provides the only account of the beginning and the early expansion of the Christian church. It is our chief source of information concerning that period. Without Acts, we would be in almost total darkness concerning the early church. This book forms the connecting link between the fourfold record of the ministry of Jesus and the other documents of the New Testament, which interpret the significance of the results of his life and work to the world at large. Acts has well been called one of the most important and influential books of all times. So let me revisit something that we hopefully talked about a long time ago, like the beginning of the year. But what we have in both testaments is we have um, event revelation, okay? So, and we see this in the Old Testament, in the uh, history books, Genesis, Exodus, those, those books where we have the storyline of the Bible. And then we have uh, word revelation, where God comes along then and provides us with an explanation of the events. All right? And so we have that. We have the word revelation in the Old Testament in the, in the form of the writings and the prophets. So, so if, it wa if it was just that we had... Uh, God reveals himself in doing things. He, he is a God who reveals himself in acting uh, among human beings, all right? But then it, left to ourselves, we, we might not automatically interpret what it is that God has done. And so we require God to then come along and explain to us why those events, why those things were significant. Okay, so we have the same thing in the New Testament. So we have the Gospels and Acts, which are the event revelation in the New Testament, and then we have the epistles, beginning with Romans, which is the word revelation, where God explains the things that he did, uh, of course, in the New Testament, in the person of Jesus, and in the Acts of the Apostles. Okay, so in the book of Acts, we've got one last book of history in the New Testament, and then we'll move into the epistles and we'll have that event, I mean that word revelation. The title of the book is uh, almost certainly not original um, and, and, and likely this is just supposed to have been the second volume of Luke's work. So the first, um, the first verse of the book of Acts says, in the first book, O Theophilus, 
I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he was given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Um, how much would you have liked to have been around for those 40 days? Like there was, that was probably a, a very, very interesting time as Jesus was explaining to his apostles uh, for 40 days the things that they needed to know. He was speaking about the kingdom of God. Um, verse 4, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Okay, so the only point being from those verses right there, Acts then is the second volume of Luke's work. Um, then without exception, all ancient dark documents uh, manuscripts denote this book with a title including the term Acts. So some just say Acts, some say the Acts, Acts of Apostles, Acts of the Apostles, even Acts of the Holy Apostles. Arrhenius in AD 185 refers to the book as the true testimony and the Acts and teachings of the Apostles. All right. So all that to say, it has to be conceded that Acts is probably not the original title of the book. Also, it's worth noting, you know, if we call it Acts of the Apostles, it certainly does not include, include the Acts of all the Apostles, because Peter and Paul are heavily emphasized, and, and John is mentioned uh, in just a few words. However, I think, you know, we're stuck with Acts of the Apostles, and so that's, that's what we'll, we'll call it. Um, the date and place of writing the date can be fixed quite certainly as A.D. 61-62, and Paul is still in prison at the end of the book. If he had been released or killed, then almost certainly Luke would have included that in the book of Acts. And so this, this actually explains the rather abrupt ending of the book of Acts. And the place of writing um, is, is uh, thought to be Rome. I have a lot of different things here and a lot of different ways we can go, so we'll see which way. I want you to see the structure of the book of Acts. If you've got your Bible open, um, turn to uh, Acts 1.8, and generally this verse is, is thought to contain an, an outline of the book of Acts. So, uh, beginning in verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, you dummies, I have been talking to you all this time. Don't you know the church has replaced Israel? Why are you even asking that? No, that's not what he says. Uh, he says, you guys, some of you guys were looking. I don't see that in here. Um, he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, uh, but here's verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and even to the end of the earth. Okay, so generally speaking, it's, this, is, this is often used as an outline for the book of Acts, so, you know, witnesses, uh, and so we would say the witness in Jerusalem, 
is uh, 1 through 7, and then uh, the witness in Judea and Samaria is uh, 8 through 12, and then uh, the witness to the uttermost parts of the world is 13 through 26, 28, sorry, 28. All right, so I think, we'll talk about the purpose of the book of Acts. We can talk about a lot of things related related to the book of Acts, and I'm probably going to end up repeating myself here. But it's very important that we recognize that the church that we are dealing with in the beginning of the book of Acts is an entirely Jewish church. It is entirely Jewish, okay? And so the, the church that starts, by the way, if, if I've introduced you to Joel Kramer, uh, I've, I've, we've, 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 in various places we've talked about Joel Kramer. I show those videos a lot to the kids. He has a uh, YouTube channel called Expedition Bible, and, and he has a, a recent, um, it's, he deals with archaeology in and around Israel and, and kind of moving out now to other places. Uh, he has a very interesting one regarding the first church, the very first church building, which quite possibly met in the upper room where the disciples had their last supper and where, where um, the, the Holy Spirit came upon them. But, but the reason that they think that it's the first church is when they first discovers it, discovered it, um, ordinarily a, a synagogue would be oriented um, facing towards where the, 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 the Torah, the scrolls and stuff would be facing towards the temple, okay? And so they, they uncovered this place and they found a, a play, you know, an obvious place that would have, would have held the Torah scrolls and they thought, well, we've, this is a synagogue. But then they started to notice that it was not oriented towards the temple. It was oriented towards the, the place of the crucifixion, Okay? And so there's, 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 you know, he, he, you can go and read it, and there's, there's some speculation that this, this was the very first place where a Christian church started to meet, okay? So there's a lot going on in the book of Acts. There's the receiving of the Holy Spirit, that the church begins in Acts chapter 2, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. But one of the big things that happens in the book of Acts is you have um, Peter, who has that vision with Cornelius, and all of a sudden it becomes clear that the Gentiles are going to be welcomed into this church. This is not going to be an exclusively Jewish church. And what they have to work out throughout the book of Acts is how Jewish do you have to be in order to be a part of the church, in order to be a part of this work that Jesus Christ is doing in, in the um, in the world, okay? So they're, they're figuring that out. They have a couple of times where they have to meet together. You know, are we going to require circumcision? Are we going to require these things? I mean, I think you and I, we can all be happy that they work these things out because we're having shrimp and bacon and bacon rack shrimp, right? And, and none of that is possible without, uh, you know, Jesus dying on the cross and, and, you know, allowing us as Gentiles to come and worship as Gentiles to come and be a part of the church, okay? So, 
you know, that, that first church, it starts in Jerusalem, and then we'll talk about a little bit why it moves out to Judea and Samaria, and then ultimately to the utter, utter parts of the earth. The purpose of Acts, the primary purpose is to tell the story of the first 30 years of the spread of the gospel message across the Mediterranean world, all right? The gospels anticipate the church, the epistles presuppose the church, and the book of Acts is the bridge between the gospels and the epistles. It's the gospels anticipate the church, the epistles presuppose the church, and the book of Acts provides the bridge between the Gospels and the epistles. I would suggest to you, uh, there are a lot of things that I think that the Jewish people had they been faithful readers of the Old Testament, should have anticipated. Like, I think it's there. Obviously, there is the presence of the suffering Messiah. Last year at Christmas, we walked through Isaiah 53, and the, the suffering Messiah is there. You know, that's one of the big things that really threw them off. Messiahs don't suffer. Messiahs certainly don't die. Jesus, what are you talking about? Uh, that you're going you're gonna to suffer and you're going to die, and on the third day you're going to rise again. I, I think that there should have been a, a pretty clear understanding that there was going to be Gentiles included in the work of God. I mean, going all the way back to that passage that I read from Genesis chapter 12 this morning, that, that God is going to bless Abraham, and through Abraham, he is going to bless the world. He is going to bless the nations. Um, I think that you could probably say that no one would have anticipated the church as it comes into being after Jesus ascends to heaven and with the coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. I think that, that this is something that, that would have been a complete surprise even to someone who was a faithful reader of the New Testament, that this is, there is this, this this new entity that has come into being that is now going to occupy uh, the mission of God in the world for a certain period of time. I want you to be very clear, and I'm emphasizing this everywhere I go right now because I think it's very important. I want you to be very clear that uh, at Hope Bible Church, we do not believe that Israel and the church are the same thing. I, and I want you guys to understand that. And I want you to, I, I, I know that probably some of you don't move in circles where that matters to you, but it may. It may matter. It may matter sooner than later. So there is a, there is a, a strain of theology called uh, covenant theology, which asserts that uh, there, there, were, there are the promises that God made to Israel that are contained in the Old Testament, in the prophets, and that um, once, um, once the church came onto the scene, uh, the church then replaced Israel as the people of God in, in the world. Now, some, some would have a more nuanced statement of that. Some would say 
that, well, it was always just one thing. Some would, some would go so far as to say that Israel was the church in the Old Testament, and the church has just continued going all the way back to Abraham and the Abrahamic promise, okay? Um, but I, I want you to be clear that we believe at Hope Bible Church, and we teach, we understand the scripture to say that God made some pretty spectacular promises to this stiff-necked group of people that he called to himself, called Israel. And I say that they are stiff-necked because that's the way the Bible describes them, that they are stubborn people. And even though he has promised them all kinds of blessings, if they will trust him and if they will obey him, throughout the Old Testament, they repeatedly reject him. And then that, that rejection really reaches a pinnacle in their rejection of Jesus Christ in the Gospels. Okay? All right. So then, so then again, some would say, well, they rejected Christ, and God, in essence, said, all right, I'm, I'm done with that. I am now creating this thing called the church, beginning in Acts 2, or else from the beginning, and now, now the church is the recipient of all the promises that I have made to Israel. I was just listening to somebody last night. So, so we've, we've made a big deal in here about the land promises. I will give you a land. Um, and so some would say, you know, I, I, I actually, you know, Archie for school was reading a, a primer on, the, on covenant theology that he had to read for school. And one of the sections was called, um, God is interested, it's about Jesus, not real estate. It's about Jesus not real estate. And so they would say in a, in a big sort of sweeping way, why are you focused on the land that God promised? God has now answered all of their promises in Jesus Christ. Well, what about the land? No, you don't understand. God has answered all of those promises in Jesus Christ. No, I do understand. <laughs> what I don't understand is why is it that the land promise and some of these other promises have now been sort of like pushed aside because God is now working through the church, okay? And, and I want you to be clear that, that we understand, we believe that those promises that were made in the Old Testament to Israel, even though Israel right now lives in rank unbelief, okay? Um, I love the nation of Israel. I do not believe that they are Christians, I pray for their salvation. Those people who tragically died in that attack on October 7th, those Jewish people, if they don't know Jesus Christ, they are in hell right now, okay? And I, I do not think that the, the nation of Israel can do no wrong. I think that they are very afflicted by leaders right now who are godless leaders. They're not even kidding around. Um, there's a very, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause here. There's a very interesting, when you go back and you read the history of the Jewish people going back into um, the early part of the 20th century, you may have heard the word pogroms, that the, the, these, these persecutions that, that in places like Russia, um, where the Jews would experience these, these great persecutions, even prior to World War II, the, the Jews were a very persecuted people. And there's, a, there's a, a particularly terrible example of this in a, in a city called Kitch, Kitchenev. Um, 
and it, it was a, a terrible event, and, and it, it got started by some Russian schoolboys who on the Sabbath, I think it was, decided to, to make fun of some Jews, and the whole thing escalated, and a bunch of Jews ended up being slaughtered, and terrible things. It's similar to what we saw in, on October 7th. Those kind of things happened in, in Kitchenev. And uh, so some of the, some of the, the men whose wives had been mistreated in the attack came to their rabbis and were like, you know, after what has happened, are, are we still able to have these women as our wives? And that kind of became a, a call that, that in, the, in the mind of the Jewish people, they were no longer going to be weak. They were no longer going to, like, need to ask their rabbis what God thought. And there's, all, there's poems written about Kitchenev. It's kind of a turning point. So when the, when the nation of Israel is founded in 1948, there is a deliberate effort on the part of the, those Jewish people to strengthen themselves because they are going to be strong in and of themselves, and they don't need God. They don't do that anymore. They don't ask the rabbis anymore, which, which again, is just even more of a shaking of the fist. So, so here are God's people, just to be clear. These are God's people, and they're saying, we don't need God. And I just, this weekend, saw a quote from within the Israeli government saying, we're not like those people who used to depend on the rabbis. Now, you know, there's still an orthodox component in Israel, and they're kind of crazy too. But, the, the, you know, most of the secular Jews are still saying, we don't want anything else. We don't want anything to do with the God of the Bible. We don't want anything to do with that. These are secular Jews, okay? So all that to say, what we believe, as we understand the Scripture to teach, is that at, at some point in the future, and I would say it possibly could be near, we, we are going to understand that, that God, we understand that God is going to snatch away the church. That in, in, in 1 Thessalonians 4, it speaks of a rapture. Some of you may be like, oh goodness, you are going into crazy territory now. But we, we believe, as, as much as we can understand, that at some point Jesus is going to appear and he's going to blow a trumpet and the dead in Christ are going to rise first and, and the rest of us are going to have our bodies transformed and we are going to meet him in the air. And we're going to go back with him. And for a period of time, God is going to finish dealing with the nation of Israel. And that, that period of time is going to last about seven years, and it will be called the tribulation. And the point of the tribulation is to bring them back to himself. And it, that's why I keep mentioning on Sunday morning, we are praying for that time I, I kind of want you to get Zechariah 12 in your memory where it speaks of, that's the one that I keep quoting, where it says, it's Zechariah 12.10, um, that, that they will uh, mourn for him whom they have pierced. Who is the one whom they have pierced? Jesus. They, they crucified Jesus. And when they call on him, he will come and he will rescue them, okay? 
And, and so this is, this is why that this matters. I believe it matters. And I'll tell you another reason why I think it matters. It matters because the faithfulness of God is at stake. Because if God made promises to a group of people, but then he's like, uh, I'm going to switch those promises to a different group of people, then that really undermines our trust in the faithfulness of God. And, and, and for furthermore, if, if God was able to say, wow, those Jewish people, they were really stubborn. I'm going to switch to the church. Do you guys know some stubborn church people? How do we know that God wouldn't one day say, ah, those church people were really stubborn too. I've got a third option, okay? And look, yeah, I mean, yeah, we're, we're not, we don't have a great track record. We don't have a great track record in Savannah, much less in church history, right? Let me give you an illustration, and then we'll get back to the book of Acts. Uh, this relates, in my opinion, the, the discussion, not necessarily the illustration. Um, but imagine if I, you know, Harry is uh, 16 years old. He has is, he is not chosen to drive yet, but he's working vigorously on the opportunity to drive. And so I tell Harry on his 17th birthday, I'm going to buy him a car, and it's going to be his car, and it's going to be a great car. And so he waits all year, and he is so excited. And, and next September 15th, he's like, Dad, I'm ready for my car. And I say, oh, you thought I meant I was going to buy you a car. It's even better than that. I'm going to buy a car, and the whole city of Savannah, all the kids, they're going to be able to use that car. See, you thought it was just a car for you, but it's, the promise is even bigger. The promise includes all of Savannah, and all of Savannah, they're going to get to use that car. Harry would have every right to be like, I mean, Dad, we need to talk about, like, language and promises and, like, what you mean when you say, buy me a car, okay? And so what you'll sometimes hear from some of our dear friends, these, some of the, many of these people are dear friends. I love them. I think they're wrong, but I love them. But sometimes what you'll hear from some of these people who believe in this, this idea that the church has replaced Israel is you'll hear them say, oh, uh, God, you, you think that God promised Israel a land and a kingdom and to be a great nation? You don't understand. What God really meant is he promised the whole world that they would have these, these things in Christ. Well, yeah, but that's not what it says. in the. Yeah, but we needed the New Testament to be able to understand what God was really doing. And once we got the, old, the New Testament, then we could really see it. But it says in Jeremiah 31, if I forget uh, to have the sun come up, or if the moon goes away, or if the tides stop turning, then I will forget my covenant with Israel. Yeah, but it's not that God forgot the covenant, it's just you didn't really understand the covenant that he was making, right? And so all of that to say, God's promises are at stake here. 
Okay, and, and I, I think the Bible presents a very glorious future for Israel that's going to take place at some, at some time in the future. Okay, so, so what's happening then in the book of Acts is it really is a transition into what I would call this age of the church in which God is going to be primarily working through this, these things called the local church. Okay? And they're spread out. It's not, there's no Vatican. I said this morning, Jesus didn't start a Vatican, right? He started local churches. And these local churches are going to be the means that God uses to reach the world. All right? And so Acts functions as this sort of bridge into this, this new age, not in the crazy new age sense, this different age that God is, is starting uh, that, that will be where the church will be his, his primary means of working in the world until such a time as he removes the church. Okay, I said a lot. Any questions there? Yes, Jordan. I would say the best evidence that we have is Jesus' body. I think, so Jesus' resurrected body was his new, his new body. So he exists in his new glorious body now, seated next to the Father. So I would say um, he was recognizable. Um, there were even some marks of the scars on his hands. There were things that were evident of what he had endured. But it was, a, it was a glorious body, and, and it was a body that um, was different than the ones. And I always say, I really hope that the walking through walls is part of the new body as well. But I'm not sure. That could just be a Jesus thing. Yes, Owen. First <laughs> um, Corinthians. We will not all sleep. We First Corinthians 15, we will not all sleep. It's the, it's, it's the nursery passage. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Um, so it, it, it not, not all of us will die, um, but uh, some of us will be transformed. First uh, Corinthians 15, anybody got a verse on that? Anybody memorize their rapture passages? Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and so the, the implication in the rapture is, by the way, the rapture itself, for those of you who are new, or new to this, rapture, most people don't dispute that there's some kind of rapture in, in, spoken of in the New Testament. The, the passage in, in, first, in first Thessalonians 4 clearly indicates that the, the dead in Christ will rise first, and then, and then we, will, we will meet Christ in the air. The, the question is the time of the rapture. So we, we understand that the rapture is the thing that will end 
this current church age. The church age began in Acts chapter 2, and it will end when the church is removed from the world. And some people will say, well, why do you think God's going to take you out of the tribulation? Why are you going to get to miss the wrath to come? Well, number one, because we're saved from the wrath. God, Jesus Christ died so that we would not experience God's wrath. But number two, we understand that God at that point is then going to be doing something different, specifically with the nation of Israel. The purpose of the tribulation is to bring the nation of Israel back to himself. So when I pray, Lord Jesus, come quickly, I'm really praying, come and get us so that you can begin your work of drawing your people back to you. All right? So, and, 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 and I should say, too, I understand, that, I understand that idea of that rapture to be imminent in the sense that it could happen at any time. Like, I don't think there's anything in particular. There's, there's like, we should be ready for Christ to appear and that we would meet him in the air because that's what the, that's what the Bible teaches, that we should be ready. Any other questions? All right. Um, okay, just a little bit more on the purpose of the book of Acts. It is in this sense that the Lord, I mean, sorry, that Luke content, uh, records the continuing ministry of Jesus Christ. So he says uh, in the, that passage I just read that this is an account of all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And the word began should not be regarded here as redundant auxiliary. Rather, it's emphatic, implying that Luke is now about to tell us what Jesus continued to do after the ascension. So you could, al you could also call Acts the Acts of the risen Christ. In, in what sense is, is Jesus continuing his ministry? He's continuing his ministry because it's like we read this morning in John 14. He promised that after he went away, he would send his spirit. He would not leave us alone, okay? So Jesus is continuing his ministry in this age through his Holy Spirit who indwells Christians, who indwells the church, all right? So as we, as we even as we talked about this morning, as we go out and we do the work of the ministry, we are doing that in the name of Jesus. We are continuing his work. And so a very important element of the record in the book of Acts is this ministry of the Holy Spirit. Um, let me just say a couple of words about the, the selective character of Acts. Um, my father-in-law likes to point out, uh, this feels a little simplistic to me, but I can't really get around it, that's, that to some extent, sometimes it was just an issue of a scroll size. Like, why is there only a, as much information as we have? Well, because there was the size of a scroll that you could carry around. I mean, you know, this, praise God for, you know, printing presses and, and bound books, right? Paul and, and the apostles were carrying around scrolls. And that's, that's pretty heavy. So why is Luke as long, I mean, why is Acts as long as it is? Because it was, it was the amount of scroll that they had. Um, but also we would say that the selective um, character of the book are, are designed to acknowledge the things that are the most important. All right? So, so consider to that end that in the book of Acts, we have the Apostle Paul's conversion story recorded for us three times. We have it recorded in the actual uh, telling of the event. 
We have it recorded before Felix, and we have it recorded before King Agrippa, okay? So three times. Why? I mean, if Luke has only got so much scroll, why does he tell us three times about Paul getting saved? Well, that can only be because he thinks that's really, really important for us to know. We have a whole chapter <clears throat> devoted to the discussion of the Jerusalem Council. That's in Acts chapter 15. That's when they come back and they have to figure out what are we going to do with all these Gentile Christians? Do all these Gentile Christians have to become Jews? And the answer is no. Praise God. The answer is no. And then we have the story of Cornelius um, being saved, uh, which is two entire chapters, Acts 10 and chapter 11. Okay, So those are the things that apparently Luke finds to be important. Important. Let me turn, I would like you to, um, <clears throat> to, to look to chapter 2. If I just, I just want to, to go over this quickly. Um, I have there in your timeline of the New Testament that Pentecost <clears throat> would have been Sunday, May 24th. 33 AD. I don't know if you noticed, but Jesus said explicitly in that passage that we read earlier, um, he said, don't depart from Jerusalem. So Jesus goes up to the Mount of Olives, and he's going to ascend back into heaven, right? But he says to his disciples, don't leave Jerusalem, because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He, he doesn't say, you know, okay, Get busy. He says, wait here until I send the Holy Spirit. And so in chapter 2, then, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Okay, so they're there, and they're praying, and they're waiting on the Holy Spirit to come upon them, to empower them. <clears throat> Verse 2, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in their own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are, these not, are, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, and Vis uh, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arab Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking, saying they are filled with new wine. Okay? So the Holy Spirit does come upon them, and they are able then to preach the gospel supernaturally, miraculously, in all of these different tongues of the people who were gathered there in, in, uh, <clears throat> in Jerusalem. So all of these people have come for the feast. 
They are Jewish proselytes from other countries who speak different languages. And God, so God in his providence has brought all of these people there to Jerusalem on that day. And on that day, the Holy Spirit comes upon the the apostles and they are able to preach to all of these people. So all of these people from different tribes and different nations on the first day of the church hear the message that Peter is about to preach, okay? So I won't read the message. You can look at it. I've been talking all day. I'm struggling. Um, Look down to... um, So he finishes... He finishes in verse 36. So, so I'm, not, I'm not shortchanging Peter's message here, but I want you to jump down to 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? So they hear the message of the gospel, and they say, Oh my goodness, what shall we do? And Peter says to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So, to, so those who received his word and were baptized were added that day about 3,000 souls. So that day, on the very first day of the church, Jesus preaches, I'm sorry, Peter preaches this sermon in the power of the Holy Spirit, and 3,000 people get saved, okay? Um, And then, uh, so then we have that that passage there that that Matt and I that read, uh, Matt read in regards to fellowship, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers, and awe came upon every soul Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles, and all who be- believed were all um, together and had all things in common. Um, in chapter 3, Peter heals a, a, a beggar, and, and then Peter ends up preaching a second sermon in, the, the, in, in Solomon's portico with, with much the same message, all right? Um, and that, that starts to, uh, to, 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 to make everybody mad. Look, look at chapter 4, verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the, press, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed. That feels like an understatement. Because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, <clears throat> and the number of men came to about... 5,000, okay? So again, we, there's, this, there's this, you know, wait in Jerusalem. Don't do anything until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. They're able to speak in languages other than what they can speak in. And, and by this time, a couple of days later, 5,000 people have been added to this new thing called the church. Now remember, at this point, though, it's all in Jerusalem, that's where it is. All of the church, the only church, all the people are in Jerusalem, and that's really where they'll stay until Acts chapter 7. And if you remember what happens in Acts chapter 7, a, a lowly deacon named Stephen gets up and starts preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit, and 
he starts pretty much recounting the history of Israel, and he doesn't make it very far before they get furious at him, and they stone him, and there's a young man who's in the crowd holding their coats, and his name is Paul, Saul. His name is Saul. Um, and, And this causes a great persecution in Jerusalem where Christians start being persecuted, and that causes the Christians then. So they're, you know, in this portion of the book of Acts, they're all living there in Jerusalem. They're listening to the apostles. They're hearing the apostles preach. They're sharing everything in common. But this persecution that, that, um, that, that starts around this time when Stephen is martyred forces them to leave there, and, and that's when we start to see Christians go out from there to other parts of Judea and Samaria. So at this point, they're still in Israel. They're still in the land, but they've gone out from Jerusalem. All right, so, so that's, that's the progression that we see. Um, let me turn over. I want to point out one thing, and then we'll, we'll get them out of Israel altogether. The stoning of Stephen is in uh, Acts chapter 7. Saul is persecuting the church. The conversion of Saul is in Acts chapter 9. Turn, to, turn with me to Acts chapter 10. You know what? Just, just turn back a little ways to chapter 9 and verse 32. Now, as Peter went there and was among them, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda, and he found there a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And the residents of Lydda and Sharon, Sharon, saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Um, okay, so then he, he heals a, a woman named Dorcas, um, and it becomes known throughout the land, and uh, Peter gets up then, and he goes to a place called Joppa, and he stays there with a man named Simon the Tanner, all right? So beginning then in verse 10, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, who was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continuously. And about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision the angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God, and now send men to Joppa and bring one man, Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with a man, with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and the devout soldier who attended him, and they uh, sent them to Joppa. So Cornelius lives up the, course, the, the coast in a place called Caesarea. So this is where Peter has the vision of all of the animals coming down in the sheet. That's a, Peter, we see the vision of the, the animals in the sheet once, and then he describes the vision of the animals in the sheet again. Again, that's you know, something that obviously Luke thinks is very important. Look down at verse 
34, so Peter opened his mouth and said. So he, he comes to Cornelius, he preaches the gospel. Um, Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to, the Lord, to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing uh, all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did in the country of the Jews and Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging on a tree, but God raised him up on the third day. Um, and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. I want to just point out, this is very important here too, because what you have Peter saying here is Jesus rose from the dead. He preached all these things. He rose from the dead, and then we saw him. He appeared to some, and those to whom he appeared, he designated to be witnesses to go out and tell that they had seen Jesus alive from the dead. That's a, that's a very key phrase, especially in the book of Acts, that these are witnesses to his resurrection, okay? So Peter and the other apostles and the, the other who had seen him went out and began to tell people that this Jesus has now risen from the dead. And, and just like I said this morning, like their testimony written down, obviously, but then passed on from one person to another person to another person to another person has resulted in we who are here tonight know that Jesus Christ rose from the dead because those guys saw it and they wrote it down and somebody told it to us, right? And so we know, and that's, that's that crucial piece of witnesses. And even what we were talking about this morning, that we are, we are continuing to pass that on. Okay, but carrying on. Verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. <clears throat> and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. Okay, so the circumcised are the Jews. So they're amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was pouring out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water from, baptize, from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. All right, so now we got Gentiles in the church. So the, the, people, the people who are with him, the ones of the circumcision, they're like, they see it. They see it happen. The Holy Spirit gets poured out on these Gentiles. And now, like I said, the question is going to be, what do we do? Because before, this, this is also key. This is key to understand. Before, if you were going to become a follower of Yahweh, you had to become a member of the nation of Israel. You had to embrace the the, the constitution of Israel. You had to become an Israeli, all right? The great thing that happens in these chapters is that you can now become a follower of Jesus as an American, as an Ethiopian, as a Chinese person, as a Russian, 
as a whatever. You don't have to become a different, you don't have to now uh, swear yourself allegiance to a different nationality. All right? So, so we're all here today, praise God. And, 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 and I don't know if you, it says they're all amazed. Like, what's happening here? We, we did not expect this to happen. You know, it's funny to me because now, these days, like, if you hear of a Jewish person who's a worshiper of Jesus, it's like, oh, wow, that's cool. I didn't think Jews did that. In those days, if you found a Gentile who was a worshiper of Jesus, you would have been like, oh, no way. That's cool. I didn't know they did that, right? Like, it's totally flipped. I mean, at this point, there's 5,000 people who were worshipers of Jesus, but they're all Jewish people. By this time, we've got Gentiles who are now coming into the church. And I need to move us along, and we're, we, we get to Paul. Paul gets saved, and then Paul then gets given this sort of, um, you know, he gets told, you're going to be the apostle to the Gentiles, right? And so Paul goes out from the church in Antioch, and what we have in, in Acts are what are known as his three missionary journeys. He goes on, so he goes, and you can, if, if you have a study Bible or you can look it up online, and you can see, you can trace um, Paul's missionary journeys as he goes out. He goes out on one missionary journey, and he, he comes and comes all the way home, and then he goes out on another missionary journey, and he comes all the way home, and he goes out on a third missionary journey, and that time he comes back to Jerusalem, where he's going to be arrested. Turn with me to Acts chapter 15, because I want you to see this. So this is known as the Jerusalem Council. Okay, so as late as Acts chapter 15, we still haven't figured out what to do with all these, Jew, uh, with all these Gentiles. Okay, so 15 verse 1. Some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you were circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Okay, so, so some Jewish believers are coming into this new church, and they're saying, well, you don't understand. You have to be circumcised. You have to follow the law in order to be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and it brought great joy to all the brothers. But when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they, were de and they declared all that God had done with them. But some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them in order for them to keep the law of Moses. Okay, so we have all kinds of debate and all kinds of discussion, and, and they talk about it. Um, and so look at the decision. The decision is found down in verse in 19. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generation, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath uh, in the synagogues. And so, there's this letter that's written to the Gentile believers, and it's dispatched 
And at that point, the question is settled. Okay? The question is settled. We don't have to become Jews in order to become Christians. All right? So, any questions about any of that? That's also a lot of, a lot of things. Are you guys tracking with me? Good. Um, I will take you quickly to, let me see, what do we have, what do we have time to speak of? One interesting thing, um, you see it in Peter's teaching at the beginning of Acts, and I would say we see it even in Paul's teaching. One of the things that Peter says, I won't look for it, it's not, I'll just take my word for it, you can see it, when, when, he, when he preaches, is he, he says to the Jews that they should repent and believe so that times of refreshing may come. And, and I, I am persuaded that the early apostles thought that the generation of the Jews was going to quickly repent and believe in the Messiah and that Jesus was going to return, that that was going to be their expectation. Um, and I think it's beca- it starts to become increasingly evident throughout the book of Acts and then into the epistles that no, this is going to be a long process. And now we're, we're 2,000 years into this process, right? But, but Paul's um, habit throughout his missionary journeys is he goes into a town and the first place he goes to is the synagogue because he's looking for God-fearers. He wants to preach to people who already have a basic understanding of the Old Testament. But what we find in places like Thessalonica is he's, he's pretty quickly being run out of these synagogues. So there are, there are some people who are believing, there's some Jewish proselytes who are believing, but he gets run out of the synagogue pretty fast, and then he goes and he preaches to Gentiles, and, and they are being saved, okay? And so I, I think what we're seeing throughout the, 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 um, the Gospels is this realization that it's going to take a long time. Turn with me, let's, let's, let's just finish Acts. Turn with me to Acts chapter 28. So, Paul is taken then to Rome. So he, after his third missionary journey, he, he shows up in Jerusalem, um, he's arrested, he's held for two years in Caesarea Maritima up on the coast. Um, he doesn't feel like this, his trial is sufficient there, and so he demands as a Roman citizen that he be taken ro- to Rome so that he can make his case before Caesar. So that was a right that any Roman citizen had that they could come and they could make their case before Caesar. And so Paul is taken on a ship to Rome. We have the whole story of his, uh, of, of, of his journey and shipwreck and all kind of things happen. He arrives in Rome then in chapter 28, verse 11, um, and he's allowed to stay by himself. So look at verse 17. After three days, here it is. So he's in Rome now, and, and listen to his practice. He's still doing this. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, 
Yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And so he tells his story. Uh, and then verse 21, they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you. And none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken evil about you. But we desire to hear from you uh, and what your views are. For in regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. And when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him in his lodging in great numbers. So these are, these are Jewish people living in Rome. From morning until evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law and the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they, dispart, they departed after Paul had made one statement, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet. Now I'll get to that in just a second. But so here he is in Rome, and he's called the Jewish people together, and he tells them the story of Jesus. And some believe, but many reject it. And then, and then I, I want to close with this, right here at the end of the book of Acts. So, one of the most important passages in all of Scripture. We went through this when we went through Isaiah many moons ago. But in Isaiah chapter 6, in the year of King Uzziah's death, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up. The train of his Rome filled the temple. This is Isaiah chapter 6. The, 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 the angels were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Uh, they're, they're flying around the throne. And if you remember in that scene, I, I want you to know Isaiah 6. Like, go home and just know Isaiah 6. It's really important. But in that scene, God says, who will go? And if you remember when we went through it, I, I believe Isaiah, being the only human in the room, says, me? And God says, okay. And he gives them this, he gives him this, this strange assignment. That assignment is quoted here in Acts chapter 28. I would say it's significant that these are the last words of the book of Acts. Go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. And he lived there two whole years, at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with boldness and with all hindrance. So just to get back to it and to kind of tie it up here, way back in Isaiah chapter 6, when God is, is sending Isaiah to warn the people of Israel, if you don't repent, the nation of Babylon is going to come and they're going to take you into exile. But God says, Isaiah, you're going to take this message to them and they're going to have ears, but they won't hear. And they're going to have eyes, but they won't see. And they're not going to listen to you because their hearts are hard. And then interestingly, when Jesus is preaching and when the people start to, to disbelieve, he quotes that same passage. It's in the passage with the, the parable of the, of the soils. And he says, that's it. I'm not going to speak plainly to you anymore. I'm going to speak to you in parables because you have eyes and you can't see and you have ears that you can't hear. Okay, and I'm going to speak to you in parables so that those who, who can understand will understand and those who refuse to understand won't. And then I, I think it's significant that Paul closes, or Luke rather, closes the book of Acts with that same statement. And, and I would say to you, that's where we're still living. We are still living in the time 
when in God's precious promises, the Gentiles are believing and the Jews have eyes that they can't see and ears that they can't hear. For the most part, some, some Jews get saved, okay? But, but just to put a bow on it, that time is going to come to an end. And there's going to be a time when they will see and they will understand and they will recognize the one whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him, okay? Um, but for the last 2,000 years, we've been living in what Daniel calls the time of the Gentiles and then Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians and forward is the explanation then of all of these events and how they relate to this thing called the church and that's where we are still living 2,000 years later and we learn from the epistles how it is that we are supposed to live together in this, in this thing that God has, has now given to us. It's a precious thing. It's a very important thing. Um, and we need, to, we need to make sure that we handle it and behave, behave ourselves appropriately um, within the church. All right? Um, all right, so that kind of ended up just being a, an exposition of the book of Acts. Like I said, didn't really know where this was going to go. I do have that timeline there, and, and just look through that timeline. So what I've done in the timeline is I've just kind of given you some of the major dates of the early church. Um, if, if Pentecost is in A.D. 33, the destruction of the temple is in A.D. 70. So you have about, what is that, 47 years from Pentecost until the destruction of the Jewish temple. And, and at, the tr- at the destruction of the Jewish temple, um, all that was left of Jewish worship is gone. Okay, and, and, and so that is, that is truly where we've been living. If you wanted to go offer sacrifices right now at the temple, you couldn't do it. And that's where we've been living for the last 2,000 years. So look through that. I've got the times when the different um, books were written. You want me to go through them real quick? You want me to go through them real quick? I'll tell you. I can, you want me to fill in the blanks real quick, or you all want to try to figure it out? All right. So... so um, Epistle, non-Pauline epistle number one is James, probably the first, the first document of the um, New Testament that was written down. Gospel number one, we went over this last time. What is the first, what, what, what is the first gospel written? Matthew. Yeah. Uh... In 49 AD, we have the first Pauline epistle, which is the book of Galatians. Then you have the second missionary journey, and then Pauline epistle number two and number three in 51 AD are first and second Thessalonians. Then you have the third missionary journey, And you have Pauline epistles 4 and 5 in 56 and following, and that's 1st and 2nd Corinthians. I don't know if you all remember this from way back when we first started Hope, but there were actually four uh, letters to the Corinthians, and Paul references them within the Corinthians, but we only have two of them 
And I think we have two and four. Our two, the second, nah, we have first and second Corinthians. Um, Pauline epistle number six in 56 or 57 was Romans, written from Corinth. Gospel number two in 57, about 57, is Luke. And then we have Pauline epistles 7, 8, and 9 are Colossians, Ephesians, Philemon, and Philippians. So number 7 is Colossians, number 8 is Ephesians, number 9 is Philemon, and number 10 is Philippians. Pauline epistle number 11 is 1 Timothy in the autumn of 62. Non-Pauline epistle number 2 is 1 Peter. By the way, just so you're clear, by Pauline epistle, I mean epistles written by Paul. Just mention that. Um, Gospel number 3 is Mark. Non-Pauline epistle number three is Second Peter. Pauline epistle number 12 is Titus. Possibly Pauline epistle, but we don't give it a number, is Hebrews. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. And then Pauline epistle number 13 is Second Timothy, and that's the last one Paul writes just before he dies we have non-Pauline epistle number four is Jude. Gospel number four is John. And then you have first, second, third John and Revelation. First John, second John, third John, and Revelation in 95 or 96 A.D. All right, yes? Uh, first blank of what? The very first one? James. All right, and so with that, we will...